Welcome to the Live Free Real Estate Podcast, hosted by licensed realtors and investors, Jonathan Dempsey and Mike Eichler, where we teach you how to achieve financial freedom through real estate investing and other investing means by interviewing experts of the space and giving you real-life examples from regular everyday people on their journey to financial freedom. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Live Free Podcast, where we teach you how to live free through investing in real estate and some other investing means. Today, we have a guest on here with us, Josh Hooper. Um, JD, do you want to introduce our guest a little bit? Yeah, of course. So Josh is someone I met back when I was in Hawaii, and he really impressed me with just his knowledge on a variety of different sectors, um, whether it was crypto, whether it was uh, drop shipping. Um, I met him at a real estate meetup and he just got featured on another podcast there in Hawaii that's pretty big. So uh, we're excited to have Josh on here and dive into all of the different things that he's doing. Um, and what's really impressive to me is he just finished uh, his engineering degree and he doesn't even use it because he's so deep into real estate already at such a young age. So I'm hoping this podcast can give everyone out there who's looking to get into real estate uh, just a, a really good window and lens to, to look at it from and watch how Josh just exploded into the space. Welcome, Josh. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I mean, uh, pleasure to be on here, spend some time with you guys and, you know, talk business, real estate or, you know, whatever we're going to talk about. So let's do it. Love it. Well, let's dive right in. So first off, you want to tell us a little bit of brief background yourself, um, just kind of how you got into real estate investing? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I guess easiest way to do this. My name is Josh, uh, Josh Hooper. Um, I am probably one of the younger guys in the space. Uh, I'm 22, uh, just like Mikey, he's a very young guy too. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, I started college when I was 18, um, went into engineering, had the idea, you know, I'll just do this four-year degree, um, make, I think they make just over six figures, uh, which was the dream, you know, American dream. Um, but through boredom, started my first company in college, first semester actually. Um, and then two years later, after that company kind of took off, we had a lot of cash and, you know, where you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and they're like, okay, what do you do when you have a lot of money? You buy real estate. So I uh, decided, you know, this Kiyosaki guy probably knows what he's talking about. So I wanted to start buying some homes. So I got connected with a, a super great guy down here. His name's Corey Nomoto. My mom actually knew him um, from previous deals. And he uh, he was kind of my gateway into the space, into the business. He mentored me basically one-on-one -on -one for about a year. And he taught me so much stuff that guys pay, you know, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands to learn. And that invaluable experience really catapulted to where we are today. Yeah, it's really cool that you got to, to shadow Corey. Um, he's one of the most coveted people. He runs Kiko Capital, Kiko Capital. Uh, I always mess that up, but Corey's, Corey's awesome. And it's really cool. You were able to mentor, uh, be a mentee of him. So what was that experience? Like, what was it like working with Corey? What did you learn from him? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say our relationship is like big brother, little brother, right? He's always kind of the guy keeping me in line, but he's again, he's a great guy, probably one of the most genuine guys I've met in the space. And I mean, from day one, he really what we focused on wasn't even real estate. He's like, you know, before we even get into the money or anything like that, I have to figure out why you're here. What is the reason you're doing this? And the first, I'd say, couple of weeks was all mindset, you know, and making sure that we're doing business the right way for the right reasons. And then from there, he taught me, you know, deal analysis, 
how to fund deals, how to find deals, just the whole nine yards, you know, guys are paying for these mentorships these days. Some of them are insane what they're paying. I see. And it's not even like a one-time, it's a yearly subscription. And yeah, he basically taught me A through Z, um, how to do business, why we do business and yeah, how to do it the right way. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Like talking about the relationships in business, I'd be curious, uh, what kind of reasons he said to do business with people, like what to look for in a partner. Cause a lot of people, when they first start out in real estate, they want to, they want to get into it. They might not have enough cash. So they look for a partner to, to go into it with, um, it can be a little intimidating. So having someone on, on your side is always helpful. So I'm curious what Corey gave you, um, in terms of advice. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say advice, um, it's really hard to, I guess, put a summary on something that big, but I'd say the biggest thing uh, is that go-giver mentality that he always preaches. I mean, if you hear him speak anywhere, that you're going to hear him talk about reading the go-giver. And Let why. me stop you for a sec. It's so you want to know the, the craziest that. thing? So the author of that book, we met him today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we were with Bob Berg today. He was doing a keynote speech at a real estate event we were at. Um, so it's, it's so crazy how it's, full yeah, circle that wow, is. That's why we say that, but we already know what the go-giver is about. Um, after hearing Bob today, uh, I'd love to hear from your perspective, like what Corey was teaching you about it. Yeah. I mean, the book itself is, it's a short book, really easy read too. Um, and I'm gonna be honest, I haven't read it in about two years. So my, <laughs> my knowledge is a little bit uh, slimmer, but if I remember correctly, it's really just relationships and business and how important that is doing the right thing and not focusing always on, you know, how much money I'm going to make on this deal, who's going to get me paid and actually looking out for the best interest of everybody involved. And if you do that, the returns you're going to get are tenfold compared to the, you know, the scarcity mindset that uh, some people do have. So yeah, that's, I guess, what I got from it. Um, but then, you know, just seeing him in person, how he operates as an individual, um, it's, it's his life. He, he lives that book. He's a great guy. And yeah, he takes time out of his day for newbies, anybody just to help him out, you know, and a guy at that level, it's really rare for him. So people like that to do that. Right. Yeah. And you can definitely see that in his mentality. Like he, he is absolutely the definition of a giver. Um, and it's, it's cool that you got that experience with him and now you're gonna have to pass it on to someone. Um, I guess the podcast is a, a version of that. Yeah, totally. Um, so why'd you choose real estate compared to some other investments? Mm -hmm. Um, so besides, I guess, Kiyosaki's harsh words in his rich dad, poor dad book, um, I'd say when you look at it from a mathematical perspective, again, I'm an engineer, so kind of a nerd, but not really, <laughs> um, just the amount of, I guess, your ROI when it comes to leverage, when you look at other investments and you leverage them, let's say stocks or crypto, right? If you're playing 5X leverage on, uh, let's say, a stock trade that you're doing, like you could get wiped out in a moment's notice, right? And when it comes to real estate, you have leverage that's long-term leverage that everybody, even like, you know, moms and dads have 30-year mortgages and only having to put down, I mean, 20% or less, and you take all the equity gain and you have all those other benefits. It's just all on all aspects. It's a safer, better, and a higher return than I guess other traditional methods like stocks, bonds, and, and things along those lines. Yeah, totally. So it just made a lot of sense for you to just jump right into that. 
Yeah, the leverage is so key. Uh, I try to try to explain that to people all the time. Um, if you Google whether it's better to invest in stocks or real estate, not that one investment is better than the other, but people often compare the returns of the stock market being seven to nine percent average um, over their lifetime, and that real estate might be like a three to four percent return over its lifetime. But you have to remember, you can get into real estate with 20, 10, 5x leverage, like very easily. And when you do that, the three to four percent automatically jumps to 60 to 100%. And it, it could be pretty crazy. Um, and you're in that position for such a long time. So it's not like you're ever going to be forced out, you can hold on to real estate and, and weather markets going up and down, um, as long as you ran the numbers right. So I'd be curious what you you heard about running numbers and deal analysis, like, walk us through a deal that you've done and kind of the analysis you've done on it. Sure. Uh, so it's a strategy that we or at least I like to implement these days is the burst strategy. Uh, you probably heard it a billion times from guys on both sides of the spectrum saying they either hate it, they love it, or you know, indifferent to it. Um, but the amazing thing about that strategy is not only are you able to buy below market, you force appreciation. So some of these deals you're coming in on the back end with no money in, and you're owning an asset that's going to pay you every month on top of that. Um, so that's the strategy we use. So a basic deal, um, I'd say, so I buy main markets is the Midwest, uh, Kansas City, Indianapolis, those types of markets, just because uh, they're smaller markets that are still metro in a sense that they're cheap, but have a ton of traffic, um, you know, economic growth still. And let's say a deal in Kansas City, I'd buy it about 100 to 120. Uh, I'd be putting in 30 to 40k to fix it up. And I know that when I fix that thing up, it's going to be worth, let's say 225. Right. And I go to the bank after I fix her up. And I say, Hey, Mr. Bank, uh, can you tell me what my property is worth? I need a loan on it. And, you know, they're like a oh, stupid kid, right? Let's give this guy a loan on this property. Um, they appraise it 225. They'll give me a loan for, you know, 180, 190. And I'm only all in on this property, 160 grand. So I'm getting money in my pocket. I own that asset for nothing. And, you know, if I do it correctly on the back end, I still will be net positive cash flow wise. So all around, it's just, uh, I think an amazing strategy. Um, it is harder to implement when rates go up, but you can always make things work as long as you run your numbers, right? Totally. There's a, there's a time in any market for, um, there's a time for any strategy. It just depends on the market. And I think flipping and the burst strategy are both a little more difficult as rates become uncertain. Uh, but the way that you're able to pull 30 K cash out of a deal that you never put money into, uh, yeah, you have to do the work. Like you have to command the, the renovation, um, but just by putting in some sweat equity, you came out with 30K and a house. So I think that's a, a pretty good pretty good return. Um, yeah. And another great thing on that, I guess we were comparing to stocks earlier, is when you go in the stock market, you want to buy Apple, right? You have to buy it at what the market price is. But when it comes to real estate, usually, oh, I know this house as is is worth 100,000 bucks. But I know this seller needs it gone now. I can pay him 70. Boom. The day I bought it, I made 30 grand, right? And that's just another aspect of it that is amazing that you don't see in other asset classes. Oh, 100%. Yeah, it's definitely a lot more power in buying um, under market value and just, just making that money right away. That's a big quote people use is, is you make money when you buy, not when you sell. Um, but so when you're looking for these deals, and especially nowadays with the interest rates being so high, what are some of the, sort of the checklist items you look for when you're finding deals? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say, let's say Kansas City, because I guess that's the market that I focus on mostly these days. Um, 
we try to stay away from C's. Uh, so we like B minus. That's kind of the sweet spot in our opinion. Uh, still higher quality tenant, but um, not as insanely priced as you know A areas or even B plus areas. As you know, the average house these days is what four, four fifty, five hundred. Um, in Kansas City, a B minus you could still pick up for one fifty, one seventy five. Um, and so checklist, obviously the area. Um, on top of that, we want to see the rent. Obviously, price to rent ratio is kind of where you're going to get your cap rate from on the back end. Um, but with today's rates, um, a lot of things in nicer areas don't cash flow, um, but we're still able to make them work. We just have to look in a lot tighter pockets of areas that we know rent's still high. And I mean, the, la the one we're buying right now is a B area. We're picking up at 145 um, and we're going to be all in 165. So. Uh, just deals like that where they're still cheap. We're trying to buy the ugliest home on the nicest street, obviously. <laughs> and then um, I'd say those two are the main aspects. Um, age of the home, very important, right? We don't want to buy 1890s homes because they're 1890s homes. They have 1890s copper or whatever they used back then inside. Um, but I'd say that's the main buy box is area, price to rent, uh, and just cap rate on the back end. Yeah, it makes it makes a ton of sense. And I think it's really interesting how you target a market that you're not from. Like you you live in Hawaii, you're buying in Kansas City. Have you been to Kansas City? No, I've never been one. <laughs> 22 years old and buys houses he's never seen. Um, that takes some cojones. That's good work. Uh, I think that's that's really cool that you do that. And I think it's really cool that you bring up the fact that you buy the ugliest house on a, on a nice street because um, you know you can bring it to its highest and best use and you know you're going to get the ARV you want and you have comps right there. Um, that's really interesting, especially for me because when I started in real estate, I usually bought the absolute best house on the worst street, um, which I think is, is really counterintuitive, but it's a little different in Philadelphia because a lot of the blocks in the neighborhood I was buying just they either had no houses on them yet, which is crazy to think in a, in a major city <laughs> that there's blocks with no houses or the houses were all boarded up. Um, so I would buy and knowing that the permits were already out for builds on the other lots, I would buy and then a year later, 18 new houses would be up on the block and it looks like a brand new block. Um, and then the house would be worth 80 to 100K more um, without me doing any renovation, which I liked the idea of. I think it's really cool that you're tackling renovation projects so from out of state, where do you get your contractors? Like, how did you get into that process? I was ask that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, contractors, we all love them, right? <laughs> uh, I would say, honestly, in the past two years, I've tried six. Um, and the guy that I found at this point is like my rock star, right? He checks all the boxes. And, you know, it's like a trifecta when it comes to contractors, either fast, cheap, and good, right? And you only normally get two of the three. Yep. But I've been able to find a guy that is all three, which is amazing. And I found him just through a word of mouth referral. It's like, I had him go out on a bid. I'm like, dude, this bid, if he does half of the work for this price, it's a good deal. I might as well just take the risk, you know? Um, and turns out he did good work and he's fast. He's an old school guy, so he doesn't exist online. Um, so uh, just having that connection alone was, you know, enabled me to buy um, homes that other guys can't buy because that competitive advantage of having that guy in your pocket uh, was, you know, that's unbeatable, the prices he has. And yeah, just finding him was the hardest part. But after the first, you know, couple after that, it's really just boom, boom, boom. We got another house, white box. Um, 
I'd be probably probably do the same thing when it comes to your B&Bs. You have like a certain format that you want on each home. So the contractors already knows so you can bid it pretty precisely. Um, so yeah, that guy, that guy, I love that guy. And I can't say anything bad about him just because he's so good. Um, but yeah, he's great. Trial and error though. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. You were able to find someone so great. And now you have confidence in your team moving forward on projects. That's mm -hmm. awesome. And I, I know a lot of the investors in Hawaii do buy in Kansas City. Like, do you do a lot of collaboration with them or you kind of just do your own thing? Mm -hmm. um, I would say I try. I'm, I'm actually, when it comes to partnering and stuff like that, I really try to stay on the, the fence. Um, I don't like to partner unless I have to, um, just because when these homes were keeping them right long term and long term partnerships normally don't work as well as short term ones do like on a flip. So I try I always, you know, network and talk story with these guys all the time. There's I call them, you know, they're really good friends of mine, too. Um, but when it comes to business, I'd say we more so uh, peers than partners, but all great people. And uh, yeah, they're buying in the same market. So, you know, if, if you had that scarcity mindset, it'd be like, oh, this guy's my competition. But no, nah, they're all friends. We all try to help each other out if we can. Yeah. And you guys are all building up the same area. So it's it's you can't take down every house yourself. And it's really cool. You guys are all developing the same area. Um, that's great. Um, one question I have for you is what, why choose the burn method over some other methods? Like why what kind of brought you to the burn method? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say when I first started in real estate, I didn't even know what the burn method was. I thought you could either flip homes or pay 20% for rental, right? That's all I was aware of. Um, but I started, you know, after networking with people, I actually showed up to uh, the WNN event. That was the first time I ever heard of the quote unquote burr method. And I looked at it. I said, okay, I can own a home for nothing using this. And to me, that sounds awesome, right? Obviously easier said than done, but I'm like, dude, I can own as many homes as I want with five bucks in my pocket if I really only had that. And uh, that sounds awesome to me. So I don't, I'm tired of putting down 20%. I actually never put down 20%, but yeah, just that idea of being able to force appreciation, not have any money in a deal, cash flow every month and have an equity uh, position padded on top of that. I mean, to me, it sounds unbeatable. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's guys on you know both sides saying, oh, you should just sell it. And, and if you need cash, and I do agree with them when guys are brand new, and they're, you know, doing the Burr method, it's not life-changing money because you're hiding all the equity in the home. But over time, I say, if you hold a property for five years using the Burr method, like your equity position is going to be hundred K plus. And it's just, I guess, delayed uh, gratification in that aspect, but it's awesome strategy all around. Yeah. It seems like a lot of people will try to hold it if they can. And sometimes they'll sell off to take on a couple more and, and just try to keep the process moving maybe sell one and then try to buy two more instead of one next time. Um, so it's, it's awesome to hear you being able to use, use that strategy effectively. How many places do you own now? Um, nine, but if this contract closes in 10, so we're finally in the double digits. Let's go. <laughs> 10 yeah. houses at 22 years old. <laughs> Mike, you have some work to do. I do have some catching up to do. Yeah, I got, I got one at 19. So I got, I got a little bit of time. Um, we'll, we'll see if I can beat you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a little, a little healthy competition. Yeah, man, you got time on me. I started when I was 21. I think that's when I bought the first one. So, so you've done 10 <clears throat> since you, you've been 21. In about a year and a half. Yep. <laughs> that's, 
absolutely insane. Congrats <laughs> to you um, for, for, for being that guy. All the bird method, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to start doing that. <laughs> how, are you go, how are you going about acquiring financing for these, for these places? Mm-hmm. Um, so with the Amazon company, when I first started, I had too much cash. As a 20-year-old, I don't think anybody should have had that amount of money in their bank account because if I was an average 20-year-old, I'd be driving around with a Ferrari, but I didn't do that. Luckily, I met Corey, obviously, and then started buying real estate. So the first couple of deals, I'm going to be honest, I funded them 100% cash or private money with just family members. And um, with the family, uh, I was able to get lower rates because, you know, some people are in the CDs and bonds where they're getting 3%. You tell them 7%, they're like, dude, that's amazing. (laughs) And yeah, just funding them private and then refining as soon as possible. We have lenders out there that have no seasoning period, some that have three, three months seasoning. So we don't have to hold them for six months, like some people think. And having that shorter seasoning period allows you to just get your cash back as soon as possible and rinse and repeat. Wow. So you, you talked a little bit about Amazon there. So how did you hear about Amazon FBA? Oh, man. <laughs> have you, honest, honestly, I was 18. My first semester in college, I thought, you know, I'm an engineer. This is going to be hard. Four years of my life going to tear me apart for four years and I'll finally work. First semester, I'm like, this is just like high school. There's got to be more to life than just going to college, uh, getting a job after four years. So I'm online, you know, exploring business ideas, you know, random Google search. And then after that, you know how those algorithms work. You get ads for things that you've searched up. And I get this guy on my page, do you want to sell on Amazon? You know, with the Lamborghini in the background and everything. (laughs) Like, I want a Lamborghini. Let's check this guy out. So that kind of, I guess, opened my, that was the first, I guess, peek behind the curtains of what Amazon was. And then over the next month or two, I started just watching, you know, YouTube videos. What is Amazon FBA? how do I do Amazon FBA? Who's the best guy to learn from Amazon FBA? And from there, I bought a course. Um, and that course, I paid, I think a thousand bucks. And I told my mom at the time, I didn't have much money, right? I was like, mom, can you just buy me this for Christmas? I just want to learn what this is. And she's like, sure. All right. So fast forward seven months, I launched my first product. And dude, from there, everything just took off. And yeah, it's such a, it's such a low um, day-to-day task business model where it's so scalable and that's what I loved about it because I was able to do it while in college and you know when you think business some guys are working 10 hours a day driving from point a to point b all the time phone calls everything and that business was the polar opposite of that so it was great especially for a college student at least (laughs) that's awesome do you think the FBA business is much more saturated at this point do you still do Um, it I would say it's not saturated um but with every business model, you know, there's going to be guys that have failed that say, oh, you know, I, I didn't do this. That means it's too saturated. Right. Um, but even in real estate, you hear the same stuff. But my motto has always been if you have a competitive advantage or you have something better that the market doesn't have yet and you bring that to market, it's going to sell. Um, so for me, when I'm looking at other categories, I know I can break into any category. All I got to do is I got to make it better. So if I see, say, hypothetically, I see a category, everything in the category is like a plastic lock. That was actually my first product. It was a bag with a lock and everybody had a plastic lock, like plastic lock, dude. Somebody just cut through that. So when I came to market, I said, why don't I just put a metal lock on this thing and sell it and advertise as the only bag with a metal lock. And that worked, you know, and that product alone, I mean, for a college kid, you made 
I think my first year it made 40 grand. Um, wow. So I thought I was just going to get lunch money. I got a little bit more than that. So <laughs> yeah, you got some cash for your first, first real estate deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's super cool. So do you still do the FBA business now or are you, have you switched focus to real estate? Only. Uh, I will say I did put FBA kind of on the back burner, um, but it still operates on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and that's the great thing about the company is if you don't um, touch it, it's not going to grow, but it's also normally not going to slow down. So it's very, very passive if you're okay with the level you're at, I guess. Um, but I am actually sourcing other products. So we are working back on that side. But I will be honest, yeah, the past two years, I've been more so focused on the real estate side than FBA. But honestly, cash flow from FBA compared to real estate is night and day. Uh, FBA side, I mean, it's technically a business, right? So you're making a lot more cash flow compared to, let's say, 300 bucks a month on a Burr deal. So <laughs> there's a pros and cons to each side. Yeah. And when you say we, is it just you or do you have a, do you have a team that helps you with that stuff? Uh, I say we normally because I use an excuse if I don't like something and I don't want to be mean. I say my business partner said no <laughs> instead of me. <laughs> but uh, it's 99% me. The good thing about Amazon is they've layered it so much with just bots. First, you know, when you go to return something on Amazon, it's just a Amazon assistant. It's a bot, right? And if that guy can't solve it, then they have their own line of customer support. So they really don't want any of these people contacting you. So 95% of it is just making sure all the backend stuff is running well and you don't need anybody else to run it. Um, you can hire out, but I just, I really haven't seen the point in doing hiring out something that takes maybe 20 minutes a week to look at. So. Wow. Okay. Super interesting. Wow. It's awesome. You're able to take that down yourself. And I think it's really cool that you're able to, to do that um, and generate some good income for yourself as well as get into the long-term equity building and wealth building of real estate it's a it's a great combination um i think a lot of people struggle with either building up cash or they struggle with continuing to move in real estate and it sounds like you found a way to do both it's, it's great work so jumping back in a little bit more of the real estate stuff um you, you have nine places you're about to have ten um <clears throat> how are you able to manage these places from so far away um the team um that is 90% of it. Um, but finding the team is obviously the hardest part. Like you're coming, let's say a 20 year old going into Kansas city, Missouri. I don't know anybody. I don't know. I don't even know what Kansas city is. Where are the good places? Where are the bad places? Right. And I would, what I did when I first started is there's this mentorship down here called WNN. Um, they do do a full program, which is what I know. JD was talking earlier about uh, other people that I work with in uh, Kansas City from down here. And a lot of them are part of WNN. I did a uh, consulting with them for six months. And that consulting was actually very, very valuable to um, CJ, who's a guy who runs uh, WNN. He basically allowed me to tap into his contacts at that time, uh, trusted contacts that he's been using for you know four or five years. He's been in there. So having those initial contacts were great to just get your foot in the ground, right? Or get your foot in the door, uh, do a few deals. And then from there, you can, you know, spread your own wings, find your own team members. And from there, you know, having the property manager, the contractor, the realtor, inspector, I think there's one more that I'm forgetting, but having that fab five, if you have those guys, you will normally never get a call. And that's the things I hate. I hate waking up and seeing a missed call from a property manager because I know something went wrong. But 
those normally happen once every two or three months. So, you know, 90% of it again is um, handled by other people. So I try to stay out of it as much as I can on the management side. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd say one of the hardest things in real estate is building the right team, um, finding the lender, finding the right realtor, finding the right property management company. Um, and it, it's awesome you were able to connect with someone who could connect you to those people um, who are trusted because then you don't have to go through testing out and the trial and error um, like you might have to with with contractors that could end your whole game. Uh, a realtor sells you the wrong house that could that could really delay your your speed. Um, the wrong contractor could just set you back a ton. Uh, it's awesome that you were able to, to jumpstart like that. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about WNN. I've been at uh, a couple of their meetups. They're, they're great guys. Wow. Yeah. So you had, you had them, you had Corey, um, you're a really smart guy <laughs> off the jump. Like it, it's all adding up. Your recipe is all making sense. Trial and error, man. At the end of the day, uh, sometimes it's got to fall forward. Um, and I think taking that first step is obviously very difficult for some people. My problem has actually been the opposite. I've always been a little too gung-ho where I want to jump into something too fast. Um, but yeah, having those connections or having people you can, I guess, bounce ideas off that you genuinely trust, that's, you know, that's worth millions upon millions of dollars. Totally. And so I guess I want to ask you what your biggest mistake has been. Because... Um, Everyone, everyone makes them. You've got a lot of good guidance. So I'm just curious, like where you went wrong at some point. Mm -hmm. um, and are we talking about like a specific deal or just like business in general or it's, what? It's business in general. Hmm. Okay. If we think about it from that aspect, I, I feel like my problem has always been when I get to, you know, when you're, when you're at the bottom, right. You think, oh, I just get to this level. I'm happy. Right. And from there, once I've reached, I guess, the level of success that I, that I thought would, I, I would enjoy two years ago and you get there and now you're like, okay, I'm comfortable. Right. And my problem I would say is staying comfortable at, you know, levels below where our true potential actually is. Um, so like I, for example, Amazon, um, you know, we still do six figures a year on Amazon net profit, but if I were to have focused, you know, 100% on both real estate and Amazon, uh, I feel like it would be much, much more. We'd probably be in the seven figures net, um, but it's just focus and motivation. You know, people talk about it all the time, but, you know, there's, I guess, yeah, motivation and getting to that next level, getting rid of those limiting beliefs. That's kind of, I guess, been where I make mistakes where I'm like, okay, you know, I got 10 homes. Maybe if I just get 10 more, I can put the brakes on everything and go to sleep every night and, you know, do whatever I want. So, um, but always got to keep pushing forward. And I think that's where I have at least lacked on in the past couple of years. Yeah. It's, it's tough when you're an entrepreneur because it feels like you're never there. Um, you always want to chase the next big thing. And I would say it's, it's more of a gift for you than a curse. If you're willing to, I wouldn't call it a lack of motivation. I would call it more of a, a reasonable amount of control. Um, and that's, that's what I'm seeing and how you're growing. Cause it sounds like everything is really well, uh, managed to the point where you're not adding a ton of risk at one time. Um, it's usually when people get way too caught up. I have a habit of doing way, stretching myself way farther than I probably should. <laughs> and then I somehow always find a way to make it work. Like I like having my back against the wall and then having to figure out a way out, um, uh, because I feel like it pushes me to a level that I know I'm capable of, but 
I'm not super comfortable with, uh, and it, it works out, but I like how you've managed to control it the whole way and are still growing at a fast pace. So I wouldn't say that's a mistake for you, man. You're doing great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'd say the best thing about having these network guys is you, if you have those guys at the next level, they're just, you know, they're always pushing you to go forward. And that's what I've recently been doing, uh, having our own accountability groups, um, and staying, you know, with those guys at the next level, just so that they keep pushing. And I don't, you know, compare ourselves like Mikey to an average 20 year old or average 22 year old. Right. Um, and that really helps with the limiting beliefs aspect, I'd say. Yeah. Who you compare yourself against is going to make all the difference in, in your expectations. So I'm glad you don't compare yourself to other 22 year olds. Um, and I think Mike is, is great with that. He's only 19 and he's, uh, he can't compare himself to other 19 year olds. It wouldn't be fair. For them, yeah. yeah. How many nineteen-year-olds <laughs> own a house, man? Yep, yep. Um, so now that we talked about that, let's talk about a little bit. Like, what was your most profitable real estate deal that you've done? Uh, Profitable-wise, I would say hmm, the thing about the Burr method is, again, we always uh, we're delaying all the equity. Normally, we're hiding in the home. Um, but I'd say. My second deal was actually one of my better ones. And at the time, I didn't even know what I was doing, but it sounded good. And I was like, yeah, let's do this one. So I think I bought it at about 90K. I put in, I think about 30,000. It appraised at, uh, I think, 175. So we got a checkout, um, no cash in. And then on the back end, we, bur we did a short-term rental there. Um, so that one was the one we wanted to maximize cash flow and just everything across the board. So we got paid on the front end and we put in furniture. So we did put in, I think about 10, 15,000 just for furniture and setup. Uh, but from there it was netting, you know, a thousand plus a month, just off the B and B side in Kansas city. That's a lot. You know, I know for the Poconos that's peanuts. Um, but that was probably one of the better ones. Um, but really, you know, when it comes to entrepreneurship and this, I guess sounds cliche, but my favorite deal is always the next one, right? I'm always looking for the next big thing that I can find, I can take down that we can stabilize or, you know, bigger deal, better deal, whatever it is, just whatever's out there, we want to go catch it. So, yeah. <laughs> and are, are most of your places short-term? Are they a little bit of long-term, a little bit of both? Yeah, uh, I'd say mostly long-term. When it comes to the short-term in Kansas City, it's... It's a lower price point. And the thing is just when you compare it to like the Poconos or, you know, let's say Miami, Florida, right? The, the gross that it brings in is not a significant amount compared to how much you're putting in furniture. So I came to kind of pivot. I did have a few B&Bs. I still have uh, a few in great areas, but um, right now we're mostly focusing on the long-term side just so we can have minimal amount of cash in and just keeping the asset for what it is. Um, and Honestly, I, I applaud you guys for that, the short-term rental side because there's so much more management that, that goes on there. And I'm like, oh, dude, guest is not happy because AC is not cold enough. I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> um, but I have a manager on that side too. So that kind of gets rid of most of the, you know, I guess, stupid questions. Like, how do I open the lock on the door? Yeah. Stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, mostly long terms right now, just especially with the way that our, we see the markets going, we'd rather just place long term tenants that are not going to be as dependent on the economy um, and just have guaranteed rent coming in every month. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Do you ever work with Section 8 tenants? 
I do. Um, I, <laughs> I prefer not to, if I'm being honest. Um, but I mean, it's guaranteed rent, right? Um, but I actually, the only section 810 I have right now, I inherited when I bought the home. So it was already performing. Um, and she's not a bad woman at all or bad lady. What am I saying here? But they just, they seem to have different expectations. And especially when they have the housing inspection every year, um, if they mess things up, they don't have to fix it. Normally it's uh, us as the landlord and that's a little bit annoying, but Hey, you know, guaranteed rent. I'm not going to complain assets performing and, uh, we'll, we'll ride it into the sunset if we have to. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. And I, I think it's really interesting that you've done a Burb and B, um, and how you bring up the fact that like a market like Kansas city, where you can get great bird deals, um, but it's not always the right play for short-term rental. And that's because the price point is so low um, and the rental rates, even though short-term rental tends to have higher cash flow, it doesn't always make sense versus the amount of furniture you're putting in there, um, especially when your strategy is burr and you want to save as much cash as possible so you can go into the next deal. So the opportunity cost is very different, whereas in markets like you mentioned before, the Poconos or Miami, the values of these homes are so much more that what you're putting down on a deal, the furniture is just peanuts on top of that. So to get the extra cash flow, the return makes a lot more sense. Like if you're going to get an extra thousand dollars a month because you furnish something, it's very different than getting an extra 50 to hundred bucks a month. Um, mm -hmm. Your return time and your ROI changes and your opportunity cost is much different. So I, I think it's really interesting how you pick out some to do it because it works. And then there's others, you know, you want to stick with your, your regular first strategy. Yeah. So, so you do the M's and FBA, you do some of this burn method stuff. Um, what, what kind of other stuff you do outside of real estate and like, what are your passions? Ooh. So when I was in college, I dreamed about the day I graduated. I'd never have to work, you know, just wake up every day, whatever time uh, I wanted to wake up. And I have that now. And honestly, it's kind of overrated. So I had to figure out <laughs> things that I actually enjoyed doing. Uh, when I was in college, I loved uh, free diving, spear fishing, pole fishing, uh, working on cars. But now that I'm out of college, I spend a lot more time, especially with business partners or peers, um, golfing, uh, going to church, lifting weights. I mean, it's <laughs> it's really, you know, the luck of the draw. What do we want to do today? You know, we got 12 hours and I have nothing else to do. Let's figure something out. <laughs> yeah, you're you're truly living free. Um, and I can tell you've been hitting the weights lately. I hear you've been working out with Blaze a little bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, that guy is crazy, man. Like. Oh, but it's great to have a guy like that, even like, especially in any industry. And I think even, you know, lifting weights in real estate or any business, as long as you stay consistent and you keep pushing uh, your boundaries, you'll, you're bound to get results. And I think that's why a lot of the business stuff does translate over to the weight room and, you know, whatever skill you like doing. I used to suck at golf uh, last year, but now I'm actually pretty decent just out of sheer playing for a year. So um, yeah, everything gets better with time. That's really cool. So you had Corey helping you get into real estate. Then you found WNN who helped you a little more. And now you have Blaze in the weight room. He's also great with real estate. Like you're just surrounded by the best people. <laughs> yeah. Network is a net worth, right? Is a cliche saying, but you know, those guys are some of my closest friends and having those guys where you don't have to pay a dime. You just call them and you know, it's like your big brother or your buddy on the phone. Um, that's just invaluable. 
And I'm, I honestly, I feel like I take it for granted just because most of our conversations aren't even about real estate anymore. It's like cars or lifting weights or, you know, what are we doing tonight or something? So, but yeah, all great people. It's awesome. You ever learned so much from those guys. Um, so what other stuff are you working on? What other like investing ventures are you trying to start or is anything going on? Um, so currently, uh, I'd say on the real estate side, uh, those deals are kind of going to stay the same, but we are looking at bigger deals always, you know, we always want to chase the next big fish. Um, when it comes to FBA, it's really boring. It's just scaling another product every, you know, if you put out a new product every six months and let's say on average, it nets you 7,000 a month, like by year four, dude, like, <laughs> you can just sleep. But I'd say outside of those ventures, I did dabble uh, a good amount in crypto probably the past couple of years. Luckily, I caught it before, I guess, the last bull run. So we did make yeah. a good amount of money there. Didn't realize it if the IRS is watching. Uh, it's still on the account. <laughs> but um, I'd say the thing is, is I try my best to not get shiny object syndrome, but it's always so tempting. Like when I go to some of these... Um, uh, I would call them conferences, not masterminds, where they're always, you know, the guy's on stage pitching what he does and, you know, syndications or some guys pitching government contracts, which I dug into recently. But I came to realize, like, honestly, based on my trajectory, it's worth more of my time to pursue the things that I'm already good at uh, and just, uh, I guess, be better at those rather than, I guess, running around everywhere and trying to be the jack of all trades investor, right? <laughs> yeah, and you're you're a really smart and talented guy. So I can see shiny object syndrome being difficult for you um, since you've been excelling in everything you're already doing. Uh, but I think it's really cool how you scale back and just focus on what you're, you're already good with and you're getting further along with. Um, I have to tell people all the time, like I get a lot of opportunities presented to me on like things I can hop in on. And I say no so much more often than I would have when I was your age. Um, just knowing like, I just want to focus on short-term rentals and short-term rental management and take that to the farthest it can go. Um, knowing that when you're a master in a space and not, not that I am one yet by any means, but the more hours I put in, I would rather have that on my belt, um, than anything else. So I think it's cool. You already realize that man, oh, it's going to be dangerous, uh, as you get further along. Yeah, maybe I got to buy some up in the Poconos. I know you guys are doing <laughs> big stuff out there and I see the numbers, man. They look great. Oh, make me jealous sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you're just not going to get a cash out refi. Is the problem. <laughs> so how can others do the same thing you're doing um, in terms of the real estate stuff? How can others get into the game? Um, what's something you recommend that they, they learn they learn first and just what, what should they do to get, in, get started? The, I'd say the biggest thing, and for me, it was even the hardest thing, uh, was honestly just going out there and meeting people that are already doing it. Um, uh, just having those connections again, end of the day, they're going to save your butt. Like when I was a brand new guy, I saw a deal here in Hawaii and I was like, Whoa, this looks amazing. I can buy a brand new home for like 300,000 and, you know, tiny little details. It's a leasehold Hawaiian homestead. Like, no, you can't buy that. You know, So all those tiny things, when you're brand new, you just, you'll never think of them. Right. So having those people going out to network events, most of them are free. I know it's nowadays, some people charge for network events. Um, but you know, the ROI you can get even for spending like 50 bucks for a meal, if you meet the right guy. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's what you want to do with it. Um, but that was the hardest part for me was meeting people. And then from there, it's really just taking action. And 
a lot of guys say, you know, off-market marketing or whatever. Me, I got most of my success off the MOS and that is free. You don't have to pay for any of that. You just go on Zillow, you search up area codes you like and you find a home and you buy it. Um, so I would recommend, yeah, just meet the right people, zero in on exactly what you want to do and don't get shiny object syndrome, especially when you're new, because that will just destroy you. Um, but yeah, once you start on that path, I mean, you know, there's a million different crossroads you'll come across in real estate. It's really just putting that first foot forward and getting out there um, and they'll be there. Awesome. All right, we're going to go into our, our final segment. Um, it's called the Live Free 3. Um, Michael, take it from here. Yeah, so Live Free 3 is just kind of three questions we ask every single person that comes out of our podcast. Um, they're kind of just like more personal questions. Um, so first starting off, um, what's your favorite investing book or podcast and why? Favorite investing book? Hmm. So when it comes to books, you know, people are going to probably say like cliche, rich dad, poor dad, or those kind of like, oh, you're a middle-class person kind of books. I actually, if I were to recommend one book that is a very good read, I would say it'd have to be either Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz or um, Think and Grow Rich. And they have the same idea. Think and Grow Rich is kind of an easier read than Psycho-Cybernetics, but it's a very, very good book on mindset in a sense it's reverse engineering your mind to figure out your goals backwards rather than forwards and uh once i had that book i implemented it and i think the results that i got from that book are amazing and i still follow the things i learned from those books on like a daily routine basis so awesome books but if i had to pick between psycho cybernetics so <laughs> that's awesome yeah i actually have a, a roommate that lives with me he recommends a book to me all the time raves about how good that book is so i think that will be the next book i read um but second question i have for you here um is what is your biggest goal this year and why is it important to you biggest goal this year that's hmm <laughs> I would say, so the problem with this year is because we, you know, we see the interest rates and so on, we kind of scaled back from beginning of the year, what we were trying to accomplish. Our goal this year, uh, honestly, and we're not going to hit it, I don't think is 10, we're just going to pick up 10 units this year alone. I think so far we've only done six. Um, so we're not going to hit that goal, but I'd say just getting everything stabilized and off of short-term debt. If we have everything on long-term you know, you have no gray hairs, you sleep well at night, 30 year fixed mortgages, man, uh, they make me happy, they make me warm inside. So if we can get every single property we have right now that we're stabilizing onto long term debt, um, we will be happy people at the end of the year. Um, and we only got two months. So we got to start those refis pretty soon. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, I got one more question for you here. It's what kinds of people are you looking to connect with? Um, I genuinely like meeting people that are young, kind of our age, uh, just because, you know, I talk to a lot of my mentors and they tell me the next step for me is not going to make, you know, millions upon millions, but it's bringing people with you to where I've got to. So I like to find, you know, the young guys at the meetups, talk to them about what they do, what are they trying to accomplish and see if I can help them get there and also, you know, see if we can work together in some way. Um, but I like meeting everybody. All, most of my friends in the industry, I'll be honest, are like 30 plus just because there's not many young guys these days 
Um, they're spread far and few between, but seeing those people at meetups is just encouraging knowing that at least some people are on that same mindset or the same track that you're on. And uh, yeah, what is the word? I'm saying? Iron sharpens iron, right? So we want to always be with those kind of people and hope them find success too. Yeah, it's awesome. You're trying to bring some like-minded people with you on your journey. Um, we just have some final words from JD then. Yeah, well, we really appreciate having you on. Um, we want to know like how people can connect with you, um, especially those younger guys that you're you're looking to to help out and have the iron sharpen iron. How can people get in touch? For sure. Yeah. So social media is probably the easiest way. Um, on Instagram, my handle is at Josh Hooper with three O's instead of two for Hooper. Um, I don't post much on social media. I kind of stay off the grid, but I'm always available through it. If you just shoot me a message, um, we can get connected. We can go out to lunch or, you know, you can go golf and have some fun. Um, but yeah, that's the easiest way. And I hope to meet a bunch of you guys. Really cool. And then do you want to plug any socials, any websites, uh, any other links that you have, maybe one of your FBA links, bump, pump the sales <laughs> a little bit. This is your chance. <laughs> I honestly don't have any plugs. And I, that's the thing I kind of like about where I am is I have nothing to sell people. You know, when people have, I guess, like a course or something, I feel like sometimes you can't really trust everything they say, right? Because they gain, they stand to gain something. Um, and for me, I have nothing to gain. Um, so I don't have anything to plug, but uh, I plug JD's company because they're great. If you want short-term rentals in the Poconos, you should hit them up because they are the best people out there for that. We so, didn't tell him uh, to say that. We did not tell him to I'll, say I'll, that. I'll make sure to pay you after the episode. Don't worry. <laughs> Thanks, For sure. And, uh, it's really cool how you, you shouted out Corey earlier, um, the WNN group. Like you've just been doing mm -hmm. it and it's cool that you have nothing to gain. Like it's, you're a really righteous dude. We're, we're thankful to have you on. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, guys. Uh, it's, it's out of my comfort zone coming on podcasts, but uh, meeting guys like you just makes it all the worth it. So, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. Well, thank you guys out there for listening on um, this is the end of the episode. Um, if you got some value, which I'm sure you did, this guy's young. He's super smart. He's got it going on. Um, make sure to leave a review. Um, give us five stars if you think you gained some value, which I think you did. And uh, that's pretty much all I got for you guys. Yeah, he's got it going on. He's like the Stacy's mom of Amazon and real estate. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, thanks Josh for coming on. Um, it's been awesome. Uh, everyone out there live free, live free.